Hello, and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. In the spirit of horror escapism, I wanted to start this week by transporting us to one of the most beloved times of the year, and that's Halloween. You may be able to hear the crows outside my window cawing in, I hope, jubilation for this incredible story. So this first story is by Reddit user YoBro1001, and it's called Why I Don't Carve Pumpkins for Halloween Anymore. In second grade, I decided I wanted to be a second grade teacher. Not first grade, not third, second. At the time, wanting to teach that grade wasn't weird, but as the years went on, as I finished elementary school, then middle, then high, it really is pretty odd I always knew I'd teach second grade. This odd, specific, occupational requirement never left even when I actually did get through college and become a teacher. So that's where I am today. A 28-year-old single woman and a second grade teacher for four years now. Or, I was. That's the problem. I was fired two months ago. The cute little school I've worked at for forever doesn't offer tenure, and I sincerely messed up. A mistake big enough to be fired immediately. The headmaster, that's what they call the principal at my charter school, told me himself he doesn't blame me, but with the angry parents, news coverage, and investigations, it really didn't look good for the school to keep me. That's okay. I feel terrible for letting the kids see what they did. That's for later, though. It wouldn't make any sense yet. Let's start with Halloween. Halloween was a big deal at the elementary school. Parties, decorations, a fall festival, you name it. Not a single wall of the school doesn't have some paper cutout of a witch or string of candy covering it. And for the two weeks leading up to Halloween... The teachers take turns selling apple cider after school to all the kids and parents picking them up. I was never honestly a very big Halloween person before teaching, (laughs) but it really was fun. The school even gave each class a budget for Halloween parties. All I had to plan was four hours of party time. Fun, though admittedly not as easy as you'd think. Finding different activities to keep second graders busy without being too boring or too wild isn't simple. Yeah, I could have just put on a movie and let them play their own games the whole day, but I wanted to do something memorable, something fun. I came up with pumpkin carving. Yeah, yeah, I know. Carving pumpkins isn't the most original idea. Literally everybody already carves one for Halloween. But when I asked the class, most kids said their parents didn't let them help carve the pumpkin. Just draw the face or clean out the guts. 
no actual carving. And they all seemed pretty excited when I told them they'd get to do it on Tuesday, Halloween. The school told me as long as the only things we used were those cheap $3 carving tools, they would let me send home a permission form to the parents. When the due date for permission forms came, every single kid brought one in. Off to get the pumpkins. My budget, the one the school gave me, was enough for decorations, some snacks, the carving kits, and probably half the pumpkins, but I knew I'd have to spend a bit out of my own pocket to buy the pumpkins. Yeah, I don't have much money, but I was willing to pay 70 bucks for these kids to have a fun Halloween. Not to mention for them to remember me as the best second grade teacher ever. The cheapest place was a small patch I found online. Most pumpkins were under $5, which sounded great. My only hesitancy were the reports of three missing people in that area. Recent reports. Disappearances aren't a big deal if you're with a friend, but for a lone woman in her 20s, I had to be careful, even if risking the area would mean less money from my own pocket. Initially, I found the pumpkin patch immediately. From the freeway I took to get there, the fields of green and orange were in my view. Only a thin fence separated me and the people wandering the fields. But after I pulled off and onto the road leading up, things got less simple. I'm a terrible driver. Honestly, I really am. Even worse with directions. Despite seeing the field the whole time, I couldn't for the life of me find the entrance. I literally drove around the whole pumpkin patch twice, not able to find the way in. And when I finally stopped at the side of the road and figured out directions, a parade came down the road I needed to travel on. Apparently, some middle school was having their homecoming football game that night, right on the only road that led to the only pumpkin patch entrance. In short, a disaster. I was exhausted. It was getting late. The place was closing in less than 30 minutes. And I could do nothing but sit and watch a flock of 7th grade cheerleaders flounce by. Looking down the street, there was still at least half a mile of parade floats and kids in costumes. Oh, and Halloween was the next day. Freak this, I whispered. My second graders would have to be content with Charlie Brown Halloween on repeat. Because I was done. Time to turn around and go home. Crap. Looking at the line of cars behind me, I realized there was no room to turn my car around. A truck, the scraped up kind you see rednecks driving around, though with a hatch covering the back, was bumper to bumper with me, stopping me from reversing enough to avoid the parade in my U-turn. Great. Just great. This day was amazing. I got out of my car and walked up to the idiot who didn't know the whole leave people room at a stoplight thing. Hey, trying to turn around, I said after he'd rolled down his window. Would you mind pulling back a bit? He inhaled sharp and pointed away from me. Then the man, the one wearing a cliche cowboy hat, turned and smiled. Not a polite smile. There was no 
goodwill, friendly neighbor attitude in his face. It wasn't even angry. The smile was cold and somehow just... off. You don't want to watch the parade? He asked slowly, still smiling. His eyes gazed just a bit to the left of mine. I, uh, was just trying to get into the patch, but there's no way I'll get to it in time now. It closes in half an hour. The man blinked. Parade will be done in 15 minutes. Run in and grab a pumpkin. Yeah, well, I need 30 of them. Really, I was just wondering if you could reverse a few feet so I could... 30. The smiling man let out a long, high whistle. 30 pumpkins the day before Halloween? Girl, what do you need all those for? Then he started laughing. A laugh just as unhinged as his smile. Just as wrong. Without seeing a mirror, I knew red was creeping up the edges of my face. It really was ridiculous I'd waited this long. I know. I think I stuttered. It was just for my class. I'm a teacher and my second graders. Why are you laughing so much? Not to be rude, but I'm not in a great mood as it is. Girl, I ain't laughing at you. I'm laughing at the odds. The odds? The odds that... A pretty young thing like yourself would be looking for 30 pumpkins the same night I happen to be getting rid of three dozen. My head cocked. The flush creeping into my face abated. What? He pushed his car door open and jumped out, laughing his head off still. It was then I knew for a fact. Even if this man could drive a car, even if he could hold a conversation, something in his head was distinctly not right. Some condition, some something. It didn't stop me from following him around the back of his car and watching as he popped the trunk. The hatch had obscured the insides before, but now they were fully visible, revealing dozens of small, round, orange gourds. Pumpkins, just like he'd said. He picked one up without saying anything and walked to my car. This was too weird. Wait! I called out and raced after him. You're just (laughs) giving these to me? Yep. Now, pop open your trunk. We only got a few minutes to load all these before the parade is over. For honestly at least 10 seconds I just stood flustered unsure how to react to this bizarre turn of events then I started loading who cared if this man was odd if it got my second graders a great Halloween party if he was going to throw them away anyways none of the things were big each smaller than a soccer ball but they were perfect for kids The only odd thing was, as I carried them, was the tops. The pumpkins weighed about as heavy as they should be without being cleaned out, but the top incision, the one around the stem that let you pull the top off like a lid, was done. On all of them. 
Are the insides clean? I shouted as he loaded the final pumpkin into my noticeably sunken down van. In the distance, the final parade float was nearing. He shook his head. The guts are inside. Somehow, randomly, I had ended up with 36 perfect-sized pumpkins with the tops already cut out and no charge at all for it. This was amazing. Thank you so much, I told the man. He winked, and his smile grew wider. Eerily wide. No. Thank you. By the way, why were you throwing them away? Though his eyes had never fully made contact, this time he really was looking at something behind me. Parade's over. We should get back in our cars. He was right. I slammed my trunk closed, got into my car, and turned right. He turned left. And that was it. The end of my interaction with the strange, strange, off man. The next day, as my kids began pouring into my classroom, I could tell they were excited. The way they smiled at one another, wiggled in their seats, and slung their backpacks to the floor was all more exuberant than normal. I couldn't blame them. I was the same. Everybody ready? I called out, and was met with a chorus of chaotic, Yes! Yes! We laid out black trash bags over the tables and cut holes in the top and sides of them for us to get into. Handmade aprons. Each kid stood obediently in front of their pumpkin with a spoon in hand, ones I had told them to bring. They were ready to scoop out the innards. Okay, I finally said. Let's start. For one minute, one blissful minute, I was proud of myself. Look at me, organizing all of this and making my kids happy. I was a great teacher. (laughs) Nothing could go wrong. Then came the red. Realizing the truth was the oddest part. It didn't happen suddenly. It hardly even happened at all. Really, it was just confusing. Why were the kids suddenly screaming? Why were multiples of them puking all over the carpet? What was going on? And why was there red? Dazed, I forced myself to the nearest pumpkin and stared inside. No, no, no. Inside the orange pumpkin, where a mass of string, seeds, and pumpkin guts should have been, was something very, very different. A heart. A human one. Covered in intestines and blood. Each pumpkin was the same. The smiling man had told me the truth. Guts are still inside. When the police came, they matched the DNA to the three people who had gone missing in the pumpkin patch area. I was fired the next day.
last story of the night is called Shadow Man by author Velma Kelly. Growing up, I was the only daughter to my single mother until I was seven years old. At seven, I was granted a wish I wanted dearly in the form of my darling little sister. Jenna was the blessing of all blessings. She helped make mom and I into a real family, and we were better for it. But even with a little angel in the house, things weren't always merry and bright. As a child, I spent much of my time home alone. This was more than acceptable growing up in the mid-90s, as most crimes occurred in quote-unquote bad neighborhoods. As an eight-year-old, I would regularly walk home alone, often distractedly, looking at all the little worlds I saw around me. I had a wild imagination. There was one house in the neighborhood that seemed different from the rest, and I always imagined it to be some kind of haunted mansion because I had never seen anyone going in or coming out. The large yard had full, towering trees with a house tucked away behind them. The pathway leading up to the front porch was lined with overgrown bushes and wildflowers, giving it a secret garden type of look. One Halloween, while trick-or-treating, I overheard some kids say our school's old librarian lived there, and thought that was odd because our librarian didn't seem very old to me. I later found out it was a librarian who had previously retired from the school, After hearing this, I immediately imagined that the house held a library similar to the one in Beauty and the Beast. I loved reading, and this made my heart flutter every time I passed the mysterious home. When I was about ten while walking home, I passed the house I had come to call Bell Mansion and noticed something peculiar through the second floor window. I saw a figure staring down at me from behind the curtain. I say figure because I couldn't really tell if it was a man or a woman. I knew it was an adult, however, because the figure was taller than the window and appeared to be stooping down to look at where I had stopped. Now, I was a child who spent a lot of time by myself, but as a veteran latchkey kid, what I was seeing raised major red flags. I swiftly walked out of view of the home and after making it to the next street, ran all the way home. That night, after dinner, I told my mom about it. My mom worked in the mortgage industry, and it was a lucrative career, affording her the ability to financially care for my sister and I without much struggle. But my mom did not always live in a safe neighborhood, and because of this, she immediately began questioning me about my experience when walking home. Who was it? What did you do? Where is the house? I have a couple questions to ask. I told my mom that the person hadn't really done anything and that they could have just been looking at something else around me. I told her that, although it was strange, I would just walk across the street when passing the house. My mom seemed unsure, but I felt she had enough to worry about between work and my sister, so I reassured her it was nothing to freak over. Later that night, while lying in bed, I wondered who the person was in the window. Even though I had told my mom it was nothing to worry about, the experience still left me uneasy. It wasn't even the fact that they were looking out the window, but 
The way this person was positioned made it seem like they wanted to be hidden, and that didn't sit well with me. Nevertheless, I began to read my book and eventually fell into a deep sleep. While asleep, I suddenly felt a rush of cold air blow over my face and sat straight up. Looking over, I saw my fan moving from side to side and laid back with a sigh of relief. But then I heard something. It was a light sound, like water dripping, but there wasn't a faucet remotely close to my bedroom. I strained to hear where the sound came from and realized it was whispering. I looked at my clock and saw that it was three in the morning. Why would mom or Jenna be up right now? Maybe Jen was sick? With this thought, I got out of bed, putting my feet into slippers. I don't like to shut the door when sleeping, so I walked straight through my doorway, but immediately stopped. Not only was there whispering, but one whisper seemed much deeper than any sound my mother or sister would make. This sent chills down my spine and molded a slab of concrete in my gut. My first instinct was to scream for my mother, because I knew the whispers were coming from Jenna's room. But then I thought, what if they try to run away with her? My mom's room was on the other side of the house, with my sister's room directly in between us, and I couldn't risk the intruder harming my sister while I called for help. I would have to sneak up to them, and I would have to do it alone. I quietly returned to my room, slipping off the slippers and grabbing my softball bat. Slowly, I padded back to my sister's room where her door was cracked just enough to see through. I peered in and began scanning the room. Within seconds, I saw the source of the whispers. On the bed, standing on her tippy toes, was my four-year-old sister with her head out the window and appeared to be talking to someone on the side of our house. Fear was replaced with rage, and I burst into the room. Running up to the window, I looked out and saw... Nothing. No one was there. I whisper-yelled at Jenna, asking her who was outside her window and why she was talking to them. Alarmed by my anger, Jenna meekly stated that she was talking to... The Shadow Man. I indignantly asked her who was Shadow Man... Relaxing a bit and looking a little confused, Jenna claimed that the shadow man had told her he knew me. I dropped the bat and felt my stomach do the same. Now was time to call for mom. The next day, mom and I marched over to the home where I had seen the dark figure while Jenna stayed with grandma at the house. We were approaching the house My heart started racing, and I felt myself slow down a little. Mom noticed and grabbed my hand, giving it a reassuring squeeze. We walked through the path of wildflowers and shrubbery, and stepped up to the front porch. I looked up at Mom, who showed no signs of hesitation as she knocked on the screen door. As the door behind the screen slowly opened, my mom let go of my hand and approached the doorway. An old woman appeared with a bun of dark gray hair on her head and a large, thin cane. My mother was taken aback, 
She had expected someone much more menacing, but still began asking the woman if she had seen any strange men wandering around the neighborhood last night. The old woman looked at my mom indifferently, and then looked down at me with a large grin spreading across her face. As she stared, still smiling, the woman responded, saying she had seen no strange men, then looked back at my mom, and her smile disappeared. Mom, noticing this strange reaction, thanked the woman for her time, and quickly grabbed my arm to walk through the tunnel of nature back to the sidewalk. I looked back at the woman one more time as we turned the corner, and noticed a growing shadow behind her as she smiled and winked at me. As soon as we got home, my mom was on the phone. I assumed she was calling the police because it seemed obvious those were the kind of bad people you'd call police for, but mom wasn't calling the police. A couple hours later, a car pulled up in the driveway and my mom's cousin stepped out of the driver's side. He walked over to the passenger side, opened the door, and helped my grandmother's sister out of the car. I immediately knew why she was here. My great-aunt was a very spiritual person. In her Catholic church, she is something of a prayer warrior. Many people from all over would write down their prayers and send them to her for spiritual aid. Upon entering our home, my great-aunt began preparing the blessing. As she walked from room to room, holy water was distributed along with a Spanish prayer. After finishing her blessings of the rooms, we all sat at the table, hands clasped in as she spoke. In that moment, I felt power unlike anything I had ever felt. There was a warmth running through me, and I began to say my own prayer of strength. Once the blessing was completed, our aunt informed us that the house was protected. I offered to help her back into the car so my mom and her cousin could catch up. While walking down the driveway, I asked her if the blessing would really protect our house. She smiled and caressed my cheek, telling me, Of course, Miha. I think she could tell that I still felt unsure about it all and I began to describe the house with the figure I had seen in the window. Her smile slowly fell, and she gave me a reproachful look. She explained to me that there are people who also have spiritual abilities, like her, but choose to use them for darkness rather than light. She then gently touched the cross around my neck and told me that though this cross is a symbol of protection, True strength comes from within, and lightly patted my chest. After this whole experience, Grandma started picking me up after school. But after a few weeks, the intensity of it all went away, and the normal routine fell into place. I began walking home during a week when my Grandma was out of town. Walking home didn't bother me, but I did feel uneasy whenever passing the old house, while walking home one day, I avoided looking in the direction of the house as usual. Suddenly, I felt butterflies in my stomach. I don't know where this feeling came from, but it caused me to look up at the second floor window, just as I had only weeks before. To my horror, in the window was Jenna. 
She was staring down at me from above, but made no move to motion towards me. I rubbed my eyes and looked again, but she was gone. I began to panic and thought, how could she have been taken? She should be at daycare. I wanted to run home and call my mom, but again, I felt that with all the time it would take to do that, Jenna could be harmed. I made the decision that I would not leave her alone in that house. Approaching the side of the house from the sidewalk, I looked for a discreet way to get into the backyard. I noticed a section of the fence where overgrown trees had pushed into the fence, creating a gap I could squeeze through. The backyard was an even bigger, overgrown mess than the front. Contemplating how to get inside the house, I noticed a trellis wrapped in vines leading up to a small window. Feeling this was the best way I could get in unnoticed, I went along the fence to the wall with the trellis and began climbing. I was pretty scared of heights, but had experience climbing trees with my cousins during the summer. I was feeling more confident with each step when something grabbed my foot, causing me to lose my grip and I fell back to the ground, immediately blacking out. I began to wake and felt a shot of pain throughout my body. My back felt like I had been hit with a bat. And as I slowly regained consciousness, I began to notice a burning feeling all over my arms and legs. This woke me instantly and I realized I was tied to a dining room chair. I looked down at my body and found the source of the stinging. Tiny cuts dried with blood covered my arms and legs. I wanted to scream, but had been gagged with a cloth and my eyes automatically filled with tears. Tears turned into sobbing as I looked around the large, dark room I was trapped in. I heard rattling from the next room, which I presumed to be the kitchen, and out came the old librarian. Her bun was gone, giving way to stringy hair that looked like a ragged mop. Her eyes were wide and her smile even wider. I began to scream through my gag, which she pointedly removed. Sobbing, I begged her to let my little sister go and she could keep me instead. The woman started snickering, which soon turned to maniacal laughter. She told me my little sister wasn't here, and that she had never been here. Through bouts of laughter, she explained that the shadow man knows what we truly want most in life. In my case, protecting my sister is most important to me, and the shadow man had lured me into the home with a vision of her. I felt so confused. How could I have seen her if she wasn't really here? Then I remembered the conversation with my great aunt and started to put the pieces together. The old woman went back to the other room, talking quickly and not making much sense. At this point, I began testing the strength of the ropes that bound me to the chair. Fortunately for me, the ropes were not so tight and I was able to wriggle around a bit. Another fortunate fact for me was that I was double-jointed and had no issue with reaching my arm around to find the knot tied behind my back. Deftly, my hand found the knot and I began to feel for a loose spot. Eventually, the knot began to loosen and in turn, 
So did the rope. My victory was cut short when I heard the old hag coming back, and I remained still so she would not notice the progress I had made. When she leaned in to grab the cross from my neck, I took my chance. Bracing myself using the chair, I kicked her in the chest with both feet. She fell back with a scream, and I broke from my restraints and ran. I got to the front door and found it to be padlocked. Looking around, I noticed the stairs and remembered the small window I had intended to break in through earlier. Running up the stairs, I heard the woman's frantic footsteps approaching behind me. But I was smaller, and faster. When I got to the second floor, I ran to the room at the end of the hall where I thought the window might be, and locked the door shut. Turning around, I was mesmerized by a wall-to-wall library. Even in spite of the ever-approaching danger, I was blown away to see a library like this in real life. I walked over to one of the shelves to look at the books, but I noticed a large book opened on the desk. It was in an image of a small person spread out on a table with blood dripping from their arms and legs. Looking down at my own small cuts, I was snapped back into reality. I looked around, hopeful for a window, but instead saw a phone. I immediately grabbed for it and began to dial 911. Just as I was pressing the last one, the door flew open, and in one swift moment, the old woman yanked the phone and threw it against the bookshelf, effectively destroying it. She dragged me through the hallway and down the stairs with a strength I didn't think was possible in a woman of her age, but instead of heading back to the area she had previously held me, I was taken through a door adjacent from the front and down some stairs into what looked like a basement. In the basement, it was dark and smelled the way our car had smelled when there was a dead mouse stuck in the engine. As we got to the center of the basement, I immediately saw a large, surgical-looking table fastened with four buckle straps at each end. I tried fighting as she strapped me in, but her strength was unreal. After I was secured to the table, she lit red candles and began reciting out of a large book in a language I didn't understand. I was terrified. I had never felt so much dread and started to pass out from the shock. The old woman approached me with a small knife and I noticed a growing, all-consuming shadow rising behind her. Praying for protection and thinking back to the blessing of our home, I started to feel the same surge of warmth as before. In that moment, a hard thump was heard from upstairs, distracting both of us. A couple more bangs gave way to a pop, similar to a firework. I heard the door fly open, and I began screaming, to which the old lady responded by cutting my cheek and kissing before she ran upstairs. A chorus of banshee screams, along with rapid footsteps, was heard on the floor above me before one last pop erupted. The last thing I remember before drifting out of consciousness 
was the face of my mother and the touch of her hands. Waking up, the smell of dank, sticky air was replaced with something sterile and dry. I opened my eyes to the side of my mother. This time she was slumped in a chair next to my hospital bed, asleep. I glanced at the bandages wrapped around my arms and felt the ones around my legs. Stirring a little, I tried to stretch my sore limbs which woke my mother. She opened her eyes and gave me her biggest smile. Coming over to sit with me, she gave me a long hug. I looked up at her with tears in my eyes and started to explain why I had gone into that house, but she calmly stopped me with a look of admiration and kissed me on the forehead. With that, I smiled and contently fell back into sleep. I was later told the old librarian had not retired, but was fired due to her alarming behavior around children at the school. Several children had gone missing since, but authorities had not connected the disappearances due to the 10-year time frame of the abductions. When my mom had called the house to make sure I had gotten home safely, she was not immediately worried that I didn't answer. However, after the third call, she knew something was wrong and left work early. When she got home and I wasn't in there, she loaded her 357 revolver and went to the place where she was sure I would be. After kicking on the door a few times, she shot the handle and kicked in the door of the old home. Before she could even look for me, the old lady ran at her through the basement door with the knife raised above her head. Without hesitation, my mother had shot her directly in the forehead, instantly killing her. Thanks for listening. I wanted to give a quick giant thank you to Brittany Bond for the very sweet letter she sent me. It's always such a nice surprise to find something waiting for from one of you in my P.O. box. There's just something so fun and special about getting real life letters, isn't there? I also wanted to thank all of you who have sent me such kind and supportive messages over the past few weeks. They have truly kept me going through these trying times. I am not trying to bring the room, bring down the room, but those of you who follow me and the show on Twitter know what I'm referring to. Let's get on to Patreon shoutouts. Again, your support through Patreon has truly been keeping the show afloat. As you may have noticed, and I believe I mentioned last week, I haven't had a single ad in June. (laughs) That's the first time I've ever gone a whole month without ads since the show was first monetized. I know it's great for all of you. I'm actually, I've genuinely been kind of stoked that you guys all got like a whole month of uh, ad-free stuff. I know, like I said, I had some promos in there, but I don't consider those ads. I... I've always found all of my new podcasts through promos on other podcasts I enjoy, so I personally like promos, but I don't know. Fear not, though. We will hang in there. If you can't contribute to the Patreon, seriously, no worries. I don't ever, ever want to be one of those hosts who is just constantly, like, shoving Patreon down your throat and merch to the point where it feels like 
all I care about is whether you pay me to do this or not. I like getting paid to do this. It gives me more time to put the effort into it. But um, I, if I ever come off like that, like, sir, like I'm not going to even get into naming names or um, certainly not going to allude to anyone. Um, but I'm sure you've all had those podcasts you've li- listened to where it's a little bit of a turnoff. I've been through some really tough times. I've personally stopped listening to a couple podcasts, not recently, but years ago when I was going through some really hard financial times, just like broke as a joke. And it was, there were just a few that it was just like constant, just Patreon this and Patreon that. So I really try to keep it at the end of the show. Every once in a while, I'll mention it in the beginning if there's something new that I think that you might enjoy or for new listeners who don't necessarily, I know a lot of people don't necessarily listen to these last little bits of the show or you're asleep. Um, and if any, if, if you are, then I'm speaking to you in your dreams. Um, but anyway, I I really don't ever want to become like that. Um, it's great to get paid to do what I do. That's what the ads are for. And like I said, without ads, Patreon has really, really been a blessing. And I thank you all, but again, I don't, if I ever start getting a little too, you know, I don't know money grubby. I don't know. I don't know. I feel bad too, because some people, you know, this is a lot of people's livelihood. It's mine right now. It's been for the past few months. So it's hard not to get a little bit like, Hey, Hey, so, uh, contribute, you know, especially since we as podcasters put so much time and effort into our episodes. Um, but anyway, I digress. Um, I, Oh, I, I'm, I have a script in front of me. You, you all know, I try to stay on script, and if I don't, then I just ramble. I have a script in front of me, and I just went off it, and I rambled. Um, So let me find my place, where I'm probably going to repeat something that I already said. My apologies. Um, I've had times in my life where I didn't have a spare dime for food, much less a spare dollar to give to some random podcaster. So yeah, I kind of already covered that um, in a less concise way. I don't know why I didn't just read this. I said exactly what I had already said, but less ridiculous. Honestly, it is just watching the numbers and seeing you all show up week to week to week. It really makes it all worth it. It really does. But speaking of Patreon, let's give a big warm welcome and send some love and light to Oscar Lowe, Angie Dombrowski, Caitlin Gallagher, Valerie Diaz, Abriana Wilkinson, Autumn Barker, Tyler Griffiths, Diane Durbin, Stephanie Roach, and Emil Brendan. Brandon, sorry, sorry, I, I was on a roll. I was on a roll. I'm sorry, Emil. Emil Brandon, not Brendan. Thank you all so much. I hope you can feel the big, warm embrace I'm sending you over the airwaves. Remember for show updates and just to be a part of the this teeny little community we have going on. You can follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Reddit. Oh, and just real quick, I seem to have almost enough entries saved up for another True Stories episode, as well as a Brevity episode. Basically, for both of those, I I, every once in a while still get um, submissions for them, but I just tuck them away into a folder until I have enough to fill up one whole episode because both of those tend to be, I mean, brevity, that's obvious. They're really short stories. So you need more than two or three to fill up an episode. And the true stories happen to be really short too. Um, so I just have those tucked away in a folder. I almost have enough 
in each category for a whole episode. So if you have any true stories tucked away, or you want to maybe go bug your mom to write down about that one time she saw a ghostly figure in the mirror or something, <laughs> that or if you have a story you think may be a little too short for a regular episode, you can send those over to scareyoutosleep at gmail.com along with any other submissions you may have. Please overrun my inbox with submissions to drown out the weird harassment emails. <laughs> I beg of you. <laughs> also, uh, okay, we're going to break it down a little bit, but um, my mother-in-law, Angie, hi Angie, if you're listening, is currently suffering from COVID. So just a reminder, this thing isn't over and please wear your masks. I know it isn't like 100% preventative to wear a mask, but neither are condoms and those still come highly recommended. So please, let's just all help each other out, shall we? Um, my listeners out there still protesting and fighting the good fight for Black Lives Matter, please be careful. I just want you all to stay healthy. I genuinely love each and every one of you. Just, I'm not telling you to stop. Don't stop. Just be careful and wear your masks and be healthy and bring hand sanitizer and water. Drink water. Now. Go get some sleep. Sweet dreams. <laughs>